My guest today is Jessica Brilli, a visual artist whose paintings feature a lot of very classic-looking mid-century American imagery. Just for context, this episode was recorded shortly after President Biden was inaugurated. Okay, so you're in Boston, Massachusetts at the moment, and I think it would be hard to start an interview with someone in America without asking them what the general mood is over there, because we're now a couple of days into Joe Biden's presidency. <laughs> yeah, I mean... And I was wondering what the uh, reaction has been to that. Well, I think you know that uh, people here are pretty split, but um, as far as uh, the folks that I know, we're all pretty happy about it. We, we are very excited to have a new president and a fresh start and just to uh, um, get some dignity back, you know. So yeah. uh, we're, we're excited. I sort of imagine it being a massive sense of relief over the whole country. Yeah, generally. Or, well, yeah. half of the country, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think half of the country kind of feels a sense of dread. And then uh, the other half is, yeah, it's like a giant weight has been lifted off of our shoulders. And uh, it's like we really just want to get back to some normalcy. And, you know, that's really yeah. <laughs> what the, the hope is. You know, not to be 100% focused on politics at all times every day. <laughs> exactly. That sounds good to me. Right. So your work is very obviously American. You've obviously got a real taste for the nostalgic um, architecture and cars and lots of imagery that you describe as being from your childhood right. or sometimes even before you were born. So I wanted you to tell me a little bit about your own childhood and a bit about what it was like growing up in your family and whether you were creative uh, from a very young age. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I was. Uh, I was always the, the artsy kid, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, from a young age, I really enjoyed drawing and painting, so it was always my thing. And uh, my father was in the car business. He, he sold cars when I was uh, young in the 80s. And uh, I think that's that's where my love of cars comes from. Just, you know, it's kind of a family thing. And my brother and father and mother also appreciate cars, so we talked about it a lot. And uh, it's just kind of important to me in in the American scene. Like it, it's one of the things that really um, kind of sticks out for me and like identifying time periods and things like that. It's all about the cars, you know? Yeah, I think in cinema and stuff as well, that's always a signifier of where you are is the car, the, exactly. the cars that you see on the road and things like that. Right, exactly. Because that's another thing I notice about your work is it does have a very cinematic feel. Everything's very well composed and neat and it's sort of, um, really perfect thing and I was wondering if there's films that you've seen that you think this is like perfect and it's sort of the films inspire your work a little bit and you take cues from the way they're filmed yeah um let me think about that you know I do there is one um have you heard of the series True Detective I have yes I've only seen yeah. the first one I've seen the McConaughey I think it was Harrison one right I, I maybe it was that that season but um when I watched that, I really kind of felt a connection to some of the, the scenes in that and just the way they shot, you know, some of the vehicles moving through some, you know, the roads and things like that. And that just, it, uh, oh, I don't know how to describe it, but that, that kind of felt like, um, it felt, uh, I don't know. Have you seen Revolutionary Road? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That really. Um, yeah. Gorgeous movie. Yeah. Exactly. And it's so the cinematography in it. So everything's very clean, and it sort of it feels like a film set, but in like the best possible way. Everything's sort of perfectly, right. perfectly neat and and nineteen. I guess I think it's fifties, isn't it? And I could see, I can kind of see that in your in your work a little bit. There's no like mess on the streets. It's all very dreamlike and kind of 
Um, right, and then yeah. you kind of scratch the surface a little bit, and there's more more there, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe it's not so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Is that something that you want to put in there? Then you want people to uh, have something to look for that's a little bit deeper than the initial impression. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way, but I also love it when people kind of come up with their own story about what's going on. I think that's one of the, the most fun things about having a, a gallery opening is I hear stories from people of why the paintings remind them of something that happened to them or you know what, what story is being told to them from the scene. So that's always a really interesting part of, of the work. you know. Can you recall any story in particular that you enjoyed hearing? Oh, <laughs> oh I'm trying to think. Um, well, a lot of people, you know, if I do a portrait of somebody, uh, it'll remind them of a relative, you know. And uh, one time, I, it's, it's not, it was one of the more odd things that someone said to me, but I did a, a painting of a, a man on the beach with a dog. And, uh, you know, it's just, he's just standing there with the dog. And um, the woman said to me, oh, that, that painting is so sad. That guy looks suicidal. Oh. <laughs> and I just, like, was so taken aback. I'm like, really? That's... That's not what I get from this, but um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what to say to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a lot. A lot of people have connections, like in, from their past. Like, oh, you know, recently I did a, a painting of a, a Carvel, which is um, like an American ice cream shop, and everybody, uh, a lot of people had stories about that. Just going, you know, going to the Carvel after school concerts and things like that, and. Just a, you know, it's very nostalgic for for people my age. I would say. Is that something that doesn't exist anymore than the Carvel? It does. It still exists, and it's great. If you're ever here, you should get some. <laughs> you studied at the University of Rhode Island, and I've spoken to a lot of artists on this podcast about their experiences at university and college and things like that. And especially mm-hmm. English artists are often very cynical, saying that they're boxed in or they're not encouraged to fulfill their potential. They have to sort of fill the ideals of whatever the lecturer has for them or the, the mood is at the time. And I was wondering if that's something mm-hmm. that, is that something that you experienced there or were you able to sort of work, work to your own specifications and things like that? I think I was able to work to my own specifications. Uh, you know, I think when you're at university, um, you, you always have to do things that, you know, it's just kind of foundation. You have to take drawing classes or, you know, Painting 101, and there are just a lot of things you have to do, and it's sort of almost like paying your dues. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, you know, um, later on in college, I kind of, I felt that I, I had space to explore and, and uh, try new things and do what I wanted to do. And uh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really feel that way about it. But I know that there are uh, other artists who do feel that way. Do you feel, looking back at the work that you did at that age, that you can see the seeds of what you do now in your work? In some ways, yeah. I mean, I see it in the style, and you know, I and and in the subject matter somewhat. But I just, uh, I think my my style has developed a lot in the last uh, ten years. You know, to um, I've just gotten a lot tighter with my painting, and uh, I and I figured out which subject matter I like the most. So I I feel like um, I really know what I want, what I want now, and, and what I'm trying to get at. What, what would you say that you were trying to get at? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think I knew, you know, and I, I think one of the things that I, I was always told in school um, was that you shouldn't use anyone else's photographs in your work. You know, it was, like, it was sort of a rule, like, you know, if you're going to paint from a photograph, it should be your own. So I kind of lived by those rules for a long time. And, uh, you know, 
maybe several years ago, I said, <laughs> I, I just decided that I disagreed with that, you know? And, and that's how I started doing the, uh, the paintings of retro images and vintage photography. Because I just think, you know, I just, um, I think there really aren't that many rules when it comes to art. You know, as long as you're not hurting somebody else or um, stealing someone else's work, um, you know, you, you can make your art however you want to. So I kind of decided that's what I was going to do. And that's how I ended up here. <laughs> You do these projects now with the, like you just mentioned, with the sort of Kodachrome slides and things like that. Do you find, have you ever painted something and had the original owner of that slide come and see it? Or is it just the influence you take from it? Or what's the, what's the process with, um, with using the slides? So a lot of them are just sort of anonymous and I buy them on uh, eBay. And it's sort of found, like a found photo search type thing. Uh, but there have been uh, situations where people have given me slides like from a family collection. So that when I paint from those, I'll usually share them uh, with the person who gave them to me. And another experience I had, which was really interesting, was I bought a, a slide from eBay of a you know, young guy kind of in a yard near a pool. And uh, I got a message. I posted it on um, Instagram. And I got a message from somebody telling me that that was their brother. <laughs> oh, you know, so that really blew me away. That was the first time that happened, and I just, I couldn't believe it. You know, she said, "That's my brother, and he's in my grandparents' backyards and backyard in the in 1965." You know, and I, that was really cool. How did they find you? They followed me on Instagram, and just by chance, just, you posted something that had had that. Yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Hello, lovely listeners of the Who's Flying the Plane podcast. My name is Adam Crowther and I present on BBC Radio Bristol. The show I present is a programme called Upload. It's a place for anyone who is making, creating and doing stuff to send us what they're making and get it featured on the BBC. So you could be a podcaster, a musician, a poet, a comedian. Maybe you've got your own blog. Record it, upload it and make 2021 the year that you get featured on the BBC. All you need to do is head to our website, bbc.co.uk slash upload for more information. Upload with Adam Crowther. So what do you think about the future of your artwork? Do you think that you might push forward um, chronologically and end up painting things a little bit more modern? Or are you well and truly addicted to painting things from the 50s, 60s and 70s? Um, well, I have started to move into the 80s a bit more. <laughs> and uh, I'm not against the 90s. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but it, it's hard to say, you know, I just, I don't really know what I'm going to do until I do it. Because I find uh, it really interesting how um, in my lifetime the 90s has gone from just being boring and, you know, people's childhood to suddenly becoming something that people are very nostalgic about and like the fashions come back right. and the style of the graphic design and all these things are sort of quite fashionable, whether it's the same in Boston or not, I don't know, but over here it's certainly everywhere, all the posters around Bristol for club nights and things like that but obviously maybe mm -hmm. a couple of years ago now but they were um influenced by the 90s and I sort of think it's weird how something can go from being quite boring to being suddenly really romanticized and and nostalgic and things like that so I just wondered if that was yeah. happening with your own lifetime um yeah definitely I, I you know I'm a child of the 80s and 90s and um I'm starting to, to the the appeal of that time period is uh, growing on me, 
<laughs> mm. um, and I could, you know, I see it creeping into my paintings. Um, I don't think I could do 2000s yet, though. I don't, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> perhaps another 20 years and suddenly it will be Yeah, maybe when I'm, like, in my 60s, yeah. I'll uh, be like, oh, i got to do that. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I think the, the only plans I have um, now is to, I, I'd like to do larger pieces. And uh, my studio is going to be renovated in the next couple of months to, uh, so that I have more space for, for artwork. So I'm really looking forward to that. Something I like to talk about on this podcast is um, how people found their way into living from their creativity. So was it difficult for you to transition from studying artwork to supporting yourself? I think I was, I want to say I was lucky uh, that I, I uh, graduated from university in, in uh, 2000. So that was kind of a good time to be looking for a job. And I decided that I wanted to, I would um, go into graphic design because I kind of, I didn't think I would ever make a living as a painter. So I kind of trained and learned about that. And I got a position laying out a newspaper at uh, the Harvard Business School when I was, you know, 23. And uh, that's where I really started to learn design and, you know, uh, did some projects for students there and designed the newspaper. And... I just kind of kept going in, the, in that field for a long time because, you know, I could always support myself with it and I uh, could always paint on the side. I've heard a quite common opinion is that if you start doing what you love for your career, then you'll stop loving it because you have to do it and there's deadlines and there's pressure and things like that. So do you think that's that, true? Yeah, that is true. Yeah. I mean, I do feel that I feel that way with painting sometimes uh, now. So I try I try not to, to let it get me too stressed out or take on too much. Yeah. But uh, it can be hard because it's hard to say no to, to a really fun opportunity. When you paint, do you sometimes hope that your art will be used for anything other than just looking at? Do you hope that it might be repurposed for sort of album artwork or in magazines and things like that? Is that something that you look for? Um, no, not, not at the time that I'm painting it. But uh, it, all, it often happens afterwards, you know, once I have a painting that's out there, somebody will come to me uh, requesting to, you know, uh, to use it for a book cover or something like that. So uh, it happens, but it's not something I think about while I'm painting. Jessica, what would you like to choose as your Who's Flying the Plane hidden gem? Well, I, you know... <laughs> It's, it is kind of random, but I listen to a lot of music while I'm painting, and I discovered this band called Land of Talk. Okay. And I think they're fantastic, and I, don't, I think everyone should know about them. So what, what's like, <laughs> what do they sound like? They are kind of... Uh, I'm not going to describe it well. Just, just check it out. Okay. Just check it out. <laughs> I'm not a words person. <laughs> I'm picture, I do pictures, not words. <laughs> Okay, so Jessica, um, how can we find your work on Instagram and things like that? Where can we see what you do and buy your work and things like that? Yeah, so um, I guess for social media, I'm most active on Instagram. And you can find me at uh, Jessica underscore Brilli underscore artist. And let me just check if that's right. I feel like maybe that's not right. Yeah, that is right. Perfect. Um, Yeah, thanks a lot for talking to me today, Jessica. Mm